Welcome to the Valley Advocate Podcast, featuring interviews that take us deeper into the people and happenings on the local scene. For more podcasts and a closer look at what's going on in the Valley, visit us at valleyadvocate.com. Hello and welcome to the Valley Advocate Podcast. My name is Dave Eisenstatter. I'm the editor of the Valley Advocate. I'm here today with bassist Avery Sharp. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Avery Sharp is the subject of our cover story this week, 400 Years of Slavery and Inequality Set to Music. And that's in reference to a piece that you have recorded over the past year, 400, an African-American musical portrait based off of the last 400 years of, of American, African-American history in the States. Um, I understand that you had kind of an interesting uh, way to start this project. Can you talk a little bit about the conversation you had that kind of got the idea going? Well, um uh, Dr. Shirley Whitaker, who's a um, kidney doctor, what are you, phrenologist? Mm. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know the technical term, anyway. Um, she's also a very uh, creative person and a visual artist, and I've done programs for her before. And I was at Whole Foods, um, and I ran into her, and she goes, 2020 is coming, 2019. And when she said 2019, I, I just kind of spaced and I was no longer really talking to her. I started, you know, just hearing music. It just hit all of a sudden 400 years that uh, the first recorded, anyway, recorded Africans were brought to the uh, U.S. shores. Of course, you know, they, we already had, the slavery was already happening in the uh, Caribbean and so forth. And I just started hearing all this music, and I was like, wow, you know, this needs to be, um, it needs to, it needs to be told. I mean, at the time, I didn't realize that uh, New York Times was going to be doing a whole thing, a series on it, 1619. Uh, um, but I was, you know, just started thinking about it and how to approach that. You know, I'm, I'm hearing music, and I've kind of been doing that all along in terms of um, history, because a lot of my, uh, if you go through my catalog, it, it always, I always pick a particular um, hero or shiro and kind of focus in on their life, you know, usually you know, an African-American, you know, I did uh, Jesse Owens, uh, Sojourner Truth, um, Sister Rosetta Tharp. So I kind of like those kind of, um, those kind of themes, you know, about history and, you know, where things come, come from. So the challenge was, how do I cover 400 years of history and 60 minutes of music? And, and that actually was, was the biggest challenge you know, mm. the, the problem the, the the issue well the, the, the music was a little bit of a problem because okay what kind of music am i going to do yeah, i mean because there's a couple ways that you can approach you i can approach it as uh, more of an artistic piece totally artistic piece where the music might be more avant-garde and just sort of a free expe- expression and everyone's you know it's like a you you're watching a, a modern or looking at a piece of modern art i guess what we call modern art where you're looking at it, you're like i don't get it but the artist gets it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I didn't really want to do that. So I thought about, okay, well, how can I tell this story uh, musically? And I said, well, why don't I do it in, in increments of centuries? And then that kind of gave me the idea. And I said, well, let me put maybe two or three songs in each century of highlights that, not necessarily historical highlights, but historical highlights that, were, that I kind of felt were, were important. And then I said, well, okay, well, I can't exactly write music from the 1619s because that's, you know, then you'd have to go into uh, more European Baroque. I mean, what, 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 mm-hmm. was, what was American music sounding like right. at 69? Because 
we weren't really Americans. We were just a British colony. So mm-hmm. it wasn't really America yet. Um, so I said, well, let me just envision and hear what I hear. I mean, obviously, you know, the first tune on there is Arrival when the, um, when the Africans Arrivals, were, yeah. Yeah, when the Africans were bought here. So I just kind of was thinking of maybe this kind of epic entrance, even though it was, you know, it was it uh, 20 or a dozen African um, um well, they weren't they weren't considered African. Uh, I mean, uh, slaves, but they were. Mm-hmm. They we were kind of considered indentured servants, and we all, you know, and historically, we know that whole indentured servant thing where you're supposed to you come in from another country and you know you work a certain amount of years, and then after a certain point, your caretaker gives you a lump sum of money or whatever it is. Some it depends on whatever you work out. That didn't quite work out no. for the for the Africans that were here. It's like, hmm, that's. First of all, they were slaves. They was from from uh, they were stolen from uh, was a captured um, uh, slave ship, and so no, they they were intended to be slaves. But it's like okay, so how do we kind of assimilate them into this? How do we use them? And so anyway, that's that's the the, the first time a recorded um, that Africans were brought to the uh, to the U.S. shores, and so I, I was you know I didn't want this to be how do how do I put this. Uh, I wanted it to be more of a commemorative, commemorative thing rather than a celebration. Mm-hmm. Yes. But at the same time, I I want to celebrate the spirit that came out of that. In other words, it was it, obviously it was a, 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 an atrocity that happened. But as I always tell people, if you really this two and a half pounds or three pounds of gray matter that we have is like the most fantastic thing that was ever created, and it's also the most horrific thing that was. Oh, that created because uh, we can come up as human beings, we can come up with some pretty atrocious things to do to each other. But with that said, whenever there's a, um, an, um, uh, an, a, a, you know, an atrocity that happens to human beings, somehow a whole a totally spirit, t- different spirit grows out. It's like, you know, if you have like a disaster or a tornado or something like that, people can be fighting each other for days, blah, blah, tornado hits, it's like, wait a minute, we got to rise up as human beings and, and overcome this. We got to rebuild. And then, you know, after we build, rebuild, we go back to fighting or whatever it is. But uh, that is, has always kind of amazed me about human beings. I just wish we could not have to go through whatever it is and just use that spirit that we already have to elevate, you know, elevate humankind. And so with that said, I mean, you know, obviously the, the experience, especially the first uh, 250 years or whatever um, of Africans being here, um, they were they were here as slaves, but out of that grew a spirit to overcome, and out of that grew um, the music, which we call American music, which is a derivative. Which I mean that that just shows you how strong the um, the elements because we're still using some of those elements now, even in pop music. You know, call and response, uh, even the, the rappers and spoken word people, even pop people. You know, black and white don't understand that some of those elements that, you're, that we're using started in Africa. You know, you were you were saying before. I want to. You were saying you immediately started to hear music when you were thinking about this project. And the final piece, four hundred, has fiddle music. It has New Orleans style music. It has uh, some rap music, as you were kind of alluding to. Um, spoken word. Yeah. Spoken word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, is that the, is what did you first hear when you were kind of you know what was kind of floating around when well, you like I said I was kind of hearing more um, 
large pieces. And then, you know, I had to kind of focus in on how I was going to approach that. And I approached it, um, like I said, going back to what I was saying before, you know, in 1619, who knows what American music really sounded like, you know, there's a, because there's no recordings of it, there's, you know, some um, notation of it. But um, also then I started thinking, well, let me kind of do original compositions. Obviously, I'm a composer, but let me uh, compose music that's of that era. Um, you know, for instance, the fiddle music is my interpretation of what, or, you know, uh, along with that, that did that second century, uh, 17, uh, 19 to 18, 19, I was thinking about, you know, the Africans as they're here, the colonial life. So what would colonial life kind of been like, you know, um, I mean, it could have been colonial life with getting, you know, I, I just heard it a different way. You know, I didn't want to hear it all. There's, there's, uh, there's a soul and spirit there. But as, as I said before, I want to go after the pain, you know, to um, sort of salvation, sort of. Mm. It's like, you know, um, I mean, music is, is a healer. And, and the fiddle component kind of fits in with that? Well, the fiddle component uh, fits in that. Uh, first of all, there are instruments in Africa that are a precursor to the European violin. So they already pretty much had that. I mean, Africans knew what, you know, knew what that was. And the banjo, there's a precursor to, to the banjo that, that was in Africa as well. So um, one thing is that that's kind of different about the U.S. and, say, the Caribbean. If you listen to Caribbean music or uh, music from the islands or music for, you know, from Puerto Rico or whatever, you, you still hear a strong influence of the drums, African. In America, that was kind of taken away because that was also... A, form of communication and plus you know um they still were allowed to you know use the fiddle and the uh and the banjo and what people fail to realize and i've i've said this before but i, I just heard an interview with uh, byron allen the, um he's a media mogul now but i knew him as a comedian you know back in the day like in the 90s and stuff like that but he's but he he, he did an interview and what he said that, you know, Africans were bought here or, or you know, African-Americans, we were bought here to be property, not to own property. And that's that's where the schism comes in, you know, in, in, in terms of today. If you were property and you have another talent, you know, it's like if, if I'm selling you, you know, not only do you know your work good or just this cat is strong or whatever, but he also plays a, a, a musical instrument. So that gives you, you know, more saleability. And as as a slave, it, it could mean extra work, but it could also mean extra little money on the side when you weren't getting paid for everything else. So you had to, you if you entertain the uh, the plantation owner, you're going to be trying to play music that the plantation owner, because, you know, you have your, your southern aristocrats who are trying to identify with being European. And so they're going to be listening to European music, and, and, and the European music is already here. And you bring these Africans here who... Uh, are going to um, play that music and also play the music that they're creating. So, and on that on that on that piece, fiddle, uh, for instance, you hear the um, it's sort of quasi sort of a classical piece, and then it morphs into plantation music hmm. or more what some people call Americana, if it's like in the um, hills of um, Virginia or West Virginia or something like that. So. And and that's another way that I kind of 
would fudge and kind of do, um, I would kind of put kind of two eras in one tune. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, I have a classical piece and it kind of morphs into a plantation piece, but it's all one song. So that that was kind of a way that I tried to get more into the one or the two or three songs, you know, per, per century. Moving forward, uh, some of the work that you did that focused more on the 20th centuries, on, say, the World Wars, um, you know, you incorporate uh, kind of a feeling of getting kind of as... as uh, so Steve Farrer wrote this piece. I should have said that at the outset. You, you spoke to him about kind of African-Americans going off fighting in world wars, other, other big wars, and coming back and returning and fighting alongside, but returning as second-class citizens and, and translating that into well, music. Well, yes. I mean, um, as I said, you know, this, this piece is more of a, you know, Kevin Eubanks, the great guitar player who's on, who's on the uh, recording, you know, he said he was listening to it, you know, after we did the project, and he was said about, he's listening, he was sitting eating dinner, he's listened to it three times, too, and he said about the second time, he said, man, this is like a soundtrack to history. And so I was like, wow, yeah, that's, that's kind of the way, that's kind of the way I thought of it. And that's why I call it a musical portrait rather than, you know, um, it's not just, you know, a bunch of jazz cats playing, you know, just to play. It's, it's more of a story. It's, kind of, it's, it's a musical story. Um, and, and getting back to what you were talking about, uh, you know, you know African-Americans have always been a part of this. We, you know, I'm always, it, it's, 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 it always amazes me that in America we have amnesia, selective amnesia. Um, we can see that in the in the uh, political situation we have now. People have amnesia. It's like, whoa, wait a minute, really? Did this guy just he just lied? Well, but anyway, mm. um, it's amazing what you can do if you have free labor. Um, you know, if if you if you got a whole bunch of people building houses, your house, and then you they go around building other houses for free and then you can sell them you could you could probably build up a town pretty pretty quick um so you know africans and african americans were involved in this history from the this country from the beginning and in terms of 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 building in terms of being a part of this even though once again we were bought here to be property not to own property and um people must you know must remember that um so you had people who were you know fought in the civil war People say, well, okay, well, they were fighting for their own freedom. Yes, but then you had Reconstruction and Jim Crow, which was just a new way of of morphing from slavery from the South to continuing slavery, you know. And um, so m- after World War One, the, the, the war to end all wars, you know, African-Americans went to fight in Europe and saw that they were looked at a little differently and, and treated a little differently. And then you're supposed to be fighting for freedom and fighting against whatever, and then you come home, then you can't get a job. You come home, you're getting lynched. You come home, you're still getting... And, you know, my father actually had that same problem because he fought in World War II. And um, even though I was raised mostly in Springfield, I was born in the segregated South in Georgia and spent the first 10 years of my life in the segregated South in, in uh, Savannah, Georgia. And my father, that's how we wound up in Springfield, I'm the number six of eight kids, and in 1965, my father had 
fought in World War II, supported the Korean War, and there were seven of us at the time. He, we, he went, we went from Savannah, Georgia to Plattsburgh, New York. He was stationed there. And they needed experienced people for Vietnam. So they were like, we're getting ready to ship you out. He was like, oh, I'm out. I've had enough. You know, I've, I've been in the, the Army, Air Force, uh, Navy first, and then the um, Air Force, you know, for 23 years. I've fought enough, you know. And the reason why he went back into the service, because I was, I was talk, speaking with my mother actually a couple years, uh, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, and we were just talking about my father. My father passed in uh, 1988. And... I don't know, somehow we got on the subject, and I said, Mom, uh, she said, well, when your dad got back from uh, the war, he was like, I'm not picking oranges. You know, that's what you did in Florida. <laughs> for for a lot of black folks, you did, you know, manual manual labor. And she said, he came home and said, I re-upped. I'm going back into the, uh, in, into the armed forces. And, and then in 1947, Truman um, integrated the armed forces, and so he was part of that that whole that whole thing. It was segregated before, and then it was uh, it was integrated. But the reason why he went back into the service also not only because of the whole the whole employment thing, but you know his whole thing was like I just got through fighting a war for you folks, for supposedly us, fascism, uh, you know Nazis, and for our freedoms. And I I go into the store with my uniform on, my medals on, and I get can't go into the store before I get called, you know the n-word and my mother would have to drag him out she said you know he would have gotten it so it changes you know you can't unread a book or you can't unsee something you've you've seen that well wait a minute i've been putting my life on the line for this country and now you i still i come back to this you know my kids are not gonna get any better my you know my wife so he just he, he couldn't handle it so he went back in into the armed forces and it's, it's amazing the armed forces kind of is kind of um is kind of a, a sort of a boilerplate for regular society because you know you put people together, you're depending on each other's lives, you know that that whole that we're different thing suddenly evaporates when somebody's shooting Just like at you. Just like your time up before. Yeah. So, when, you know, so um, I don't care if a person's gay. He's you know he's my, he's fighting. He's you know like he's with me trying to save trying to save his life and my life. Um, so. You know, my father experienced that, and um, you know, him, him, and his generation of, of of black men who who did fight that war, they had, you know, you you have to remember this kind of stuff is slowly but surely propelling the civil rights era as well. You know, people think, oh, everything just started happening in the '60s. No, stuff has been happening from day one. Um, it just peaked. In the 1960s, with not not only that, you I mean you had you know women's rights, you had uh, gay rights, you had the the country was like, hey, enough is enough. Um, An- another uh, family connection that you talk about uh, is um, your niece made a contribution uh, to um, to one of the later pieces in 400. Can you talk about that? Yeah, you know my um, my father was you know. You know, one of my, both my father and my mother were one of my biggest heroes. My father always, he was, the most he wasn't a, a rich man by any means, quite the opposite. But my last conversation with him was he was, he felt like he was a rich man because he had eight kids and he, you know, his family was always number one. That was his main focus. And that became, you know, some people come from a large family and experience is not so good. 
we come from a large family and experiences, you know, good, great, because of the, you know, the way, way my father did it. So, and my mother's a musician, and that's where all, it all comes from. We all were taught, you know, piano, at, uh, but it kind of, it just really stuck with me. Um, and so I have a, this extended family choir, which I did this whole trilogy of extended family, which was really delica- dedicated to my father. Um, you know, I had, I had, I did a trilogy, I did an extended family, and then I did extended family two thoughts of my ancestors, uh, which was sort of a double meaning. You know, I'm thinking about all the people, you know, nobody was just, just dropped from heaven. It took umpteen generations of whatever, you know, whatever your, your background is to make you, all those people are in you all, you know, you're there. You, you know. So I was thinking about the ancestors of people that I've never met who make me who I am, but also thoughts of my ancestors. What were their actual thoughts? What was actually going through their head at the, at, in the, you know, on the bottom of a slave ship or, you know, getting whipped or whatever, or relationships or, you know, what, what, what were their actual thoughts? Because, you know, my wife always gets on, on me because I love biographies. Um, I always love to see how a person, because, you know, as human beings, you're not going to get out of this without some major challenges. So I'm always just interested to see how that person dealt with that, those particular challenges, you know, just because I'm just, I'm just fascinated about it. And, you know, sometimes, yeah, you, maybe you can take a page or get inspiration from whatever you're going through. It's like, well, you know, Muhammad Ali did X, Y, and Z when he was going through whatever, or my grandmother went through whatever the racial thing. So whatever I'm going through is a kind of a piece of cake at, you know, at, at, at this point. Um, Sorry, once again, where were we going with that? Oh, uh, well, I was asking oh, about your oh, so your, your 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 yeah. Uh, sorry, your I, I can go. No. I can go on. Don't don't get me started. Either. <laughs> so, you know, thinking about family, Mike. The um, well, the trilogy. Once again, um, I needed a choir for the second uh, portion of the trilogy, and also for the third. So I formed the choir, and I got my brother uh, Kevin Sharp, who's also a musician, um, to uh, form the choir, and half the choir was my family. So I said, well, and friends. So I said, well, extended family, you know, the extended family um, a title from, you know, being inspired by my father. And so the extended family choir and, and my uh, niece is, is part of my choir now. And um, uh, I, was, I was talking about this earlier. It's, it's a heck of a thing, you know, is I'm just talking about just from just as a human being. And being a a, a a black person, sometimes we, for this might sound strange, for for sometimes we forget we're black. What I mean by that, we, we we don't think of ourselves as black at first. We think of ourselves as human being, human beings, and then someone will go ah, you know, say the n word, and they're like ah, oh, yeah, God dog it, that's right. I got this 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 different kind of uh, pigmentation. So, um. Yeah, so I was speaking with my niece, and um, a lot of my, um, well, I should say, my some of my, a lot of my political views and a lot of my quote unquote, as some people may think of the radical views, really actually come from my father. Um, um, so he was the first person that I, he used to listen to Malcolm X, the speeches of Malcolm X, and he was the first person that I, that introduced me to people like Malcolm X, and then you know, then my generation, we started, 
You know, we had people like uh, Muhammad Ali, Dick Gregory, uh, Harry Belafonte. You know, you had those those type of people who were who were activists. And so I'm just saying that to say that my niece, she started becoming more politically aware and aware of the shell that you're in and the, and the skin that you're in. And we would talk about it, and I would hear some of her political um, views and that. So in doing this, like I said, uh, all of the compositions are original compositions except for the uh, civil rights uh, uh, tune, Ain't Gonna Let Nobody Turn Me Around, which is a Negro spiritual. And um, it was funny because when I was dealing with that, the 1919 to 2019, and it got to the civil rights, I started writing material for it, and everything I, I wrote sounded corny to me. So I was like, well, why don't I just take a tune from that era? And then, you know, one of the tunes that, that really highlights that area, or was sort of the uh, epitome of that era, is Ain't Gonna Let Nobody Turn Me Around. And, but I wanted to do it a little, bit, a little different. You know, I kind of did it, you know, with um, harmonies and so forth. And then I said, well, I'd like to do a spoken word, kind of bring it up more modern and I was speaking to my, my niece about it and I said well why don't you write me a spoken word for this you know I have a kind of a concept of what I want to do at the end and she said okay what do you want so I just kind of outlined I said well this person needs to be included or this event needs to be included in that and whatever you come up with it's cool so she wrote it and uh, she's also in the choir so she also did the uh, the spoken word on it. With a couple takes, she she you know she knocked it out. Um, this is going to be performed in its entirety on November twenty first, seven thirty p.m. at uh, UMass Fine Arts Center. You know what can people expect uh, seeing this performed live? Well, live is going to be with a, a quintet, a jazz quintet. I have Don uh, Braden on on reeds, saxophones, and um, Dwayne Eubanks on trumpet. Um, Kevin Eubanks, uh, younger brother, and um, Ronnie Barrage on drums, and um, Davis Whitfield, excuse me, on uh, piano, and then I'm going to have about uh, 12 members of the extended family choir there, and there's going to be a um, it's multimedia, so there's going to be a um, video slideshow going on while we're performing, so it's a it's, it's an event. It's more of an event, and we're actually we're also performing it um, the next night in Hartford on the 22nd at the Polish American Club, I believe it is. It's sponsored by the Hartford Jazz Society. So, um, so people should expect to come and, and have a good show, and uh, you know, also, like I said, the whole multimedia thing. It'll it'll be an experience. Certainly. Um Avery Sharp, thank you so much for coming in, uh, talking about your piece, 400, an African-American musical portrait. Um, it's going to be performed at uh, UMass November 21st and in Hartford on the next night on the 22nd. Yes, um, exactly. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to visit us at valleyadvocate.com.